Bibles, if you would, and let's go to Leviticus chapter 6 as we start this morning. Leviticus chapter 6. And uh, the last several weeks we've been dealing with the great conflict presented in Scripture uh, and in the hearts and minds of every uh, person uh, that deals anything with the Scripture. Uh, Jesus said He came to give us life and that life more abundantly. We are told through the Bible that we can have the greatest and the best things that life have to offer in Jesus Christ. And uh, Brother brother Zach, if you could turn me down just a little bit. I'm getting a ring here. Um, And so we hear those stories, and then we also hear Jesus preaching that straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Jesus said, if a man hate not his father, his mother, his wife, his children, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And, and in many minds, we have a conflict here. How can I lose all of these things and still find this abundant life in Christ? And uh, last week we spent time looking at Adam and Eve in the garden as they reached out to embrace what the devil had deceived them in believing was the greatest that life had to offer and they only embraced death. David, the king of Israel had the kingship. He was the man, the Bible says, was the man after God's own heart. And yet David saw Bathsheba. He saw something in life that he thought he was missing. And he only brought death and destruction to his own family. Now, I love the pictures and the typology uh, that is in the Bible. They, they are pictures painted with living lives and, and living examples. And when we go to the, what, what is commonly called the Old Testament tabernacle, the, the form of worship that God ordained in Israel on Mount Sinai when He gave the law, uh, most people just say, oh, well, yeah, that was just, um, you know, it was something they did back then, but really does not have a bearing on us today, and and, uh, that's not true. God put it in there for a purpose. Every regulation, every rule, every article of clothing, every ceremony that was in that form of worship was designed to help us understand our relationship with God. And this morning, I'd like us to start in Leviticus chapter 6 and Probably one of the most ignored because it's not pleasant to think about the death of self. Uh, It is not pleasant to think about giving up things that I desperately want. In fact, if you read much of what is called Christian literature today, they will talk about how that you can realize yourself. and, And that God was the one that put those desires in your heart and He meant for you to fulfill them, even if they mean contradicting God's Word. Now, that's blasphemous. God never contradicts His Word. He does not call something sin today 
and then go over here and say, well, it's okay now. You see, but what about the Ten Commandments and the Sabbath day? And, you know, God fulfills things. Uh, the best illustration I can give you is the Sabbath day. The penalty was death for breaking the Sabbath day. And by the way, the Sabbath day always has been and always will be the seventh day of the week, Saturday, not Sunday. Uh, if you read any literature written with a Bible involved, in fact, they, they called them Sabbath laws in, in the United States and many municipalities later became known as blue laws, which meant you weren't allowed to have certain establishments open on Sunday. In fact, there are still towns uh, surrounding New York City here, uh, in, uh, I believe in New Jersey and a few upstate New York, where all regular business is closed on Sunday, and they, uh, they call those Sabbath laws. Uh, Sunday is the first day of the week. Sabbath is the seventh day of the week. And just as God fulfills these things, you see, when a person gets saved, how do you get saved? You have to stop trying to save yourself. Does that sound like works? Yeah. Well, if I quit working, what am I supposed to be doing? Resting. The Sabbath was a day of rest, not a day of worship. Every day is the Sabbath for the New Testament Christian. Because I'm not working for my salvation. I am resting in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. You see, God does not contradict himself. What he says is sin is sin. And it is a sin for you and I to try to work our way to heaven. Try to earn God's favor. And yet that is the seed of all false religion, is it not? How many of you remember used to go to a church and they said, Listen, if you'll do this, 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 this. Yeah, what happens next? Well, maybe someday after you die, you might find out that you went to heaven. Now, they don't say it that way. And yes, I'm being a little sarcastic. I'm sorry. But they were so emphatic about their list of do's and don'ts that less than 400 years ago, they were killing people in continental Europe and England because you disobeyed their rules of do's and don'ts. They fought wars over how a person ought to be baptized and whether babies ought to be baptized or adults. And they hunted and killed people over these things. They were so adamant about their rules, list of do's and don'ts. And yet, when you talk to every one of them, the Catholic religion offers purgatory. Well, see, you can go there and you can pay for all the sins that you didn't quite remember to take care of here on earth. That's very convenient opportunity there, but it's not in the Scriptures. The Bible says it is appointed unto man once to die. And after this, the judgment. I was talking to a man one time and I said, Now, what does, what does your religion, the religion of Islam, I said, what does it say? He says, well, here's, here's what it says. It says on the judgment day, we're all going to be lined up 
He said, and you get to pick the person who will lead you into eternity. He said, if you go to Moses and say, lead me into eternity, Moses will tell you, yes, I can lead you, but it's going to take a hundred thousand years. And if you go to Jesus and say, lead me into eternity, he said, yes, I can lead you into eternity, but it's going to take 10,000 years. But if you go to Muhammad and say, lead me into eternity, he'll take you right in. I said, that's interesting. I said, where did you come up with that? Oh, he says, it's in our, it's in our religion, it's in our book. I said, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You will find no pick and choose in the Bible. And when a person gets saved, they stop trying to save themselves. And you have to put your faith in Jesus Christ that he is capable of saving you. Now, if you've asked Jesus to save you and you know that he has done the work and he has kept his word, just say amen this morning. Would you do that? That wasn't a very good amen. Do you believe you're saved this morning? I mean, is, does God have the power to take away your sins? Amen? I mean, God can do these things, and He's promised in His Word. But once you get saved, then start to struggle. Because this old flesh still wants to do things that aren't right. And so we come here to the Old Testament tabernacle, as we call it. Look with me in Leviticus chapter 6. And I want to start in verse 8, and we're going to... Uh, Read down through verse 13. It says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Command Aaron and his sons, saying, This is the law of the burnt offering. It is the burnt offering because of the burning upon the altar all night unto the morning. And the fire of the altar shall be burning in it. And the priest shall put on his linen garment, and his linen breeches shall he put upon his flesh, And take up the ashes which the fire hath consumed with the burnt offering on the altar, and he shall put them beside the altar. And he shall put off his garments, and put on other garments, and carry forth the ashes without the camp unto a clean place. And the fire upon the altar shall be burning in it. It shall not be put out. And the priest shall burn wood on it every morning, and lay the burnt offering in order upon it, and he shall burn thereon the fat of the peace offerings. And the fire shall ever be burning upon the altar. It shall never go out. Now that word never is an incredible word. If you ever have to answer a true and false question on a test and they put the word never in there, almost always false. Because with mankind, never doesn't mean never. How many of you said, I'm never going to talk to you again? How many of you have been told that? 
Some of you are wishing it would have worked, but it didn't. You see, when we use the word never, we don't mean never. But when God uses the word never, He means it. The history of the Jewish people, the tradition of the Jewish people tell us that this fire was lit in the brazen altar at the foot of Mount Sinai and burned continually until the armies of Nebuchadnezzar destroyed the city of Jerusalem in 604 B.C. That's a period of well over 600 years of history. That that fire was not to be put out. We, we cannot verify that. There were times when the kings of Israel turned their back on the brazen altar and the, and the true worship of God, and it was brought back again. But the, the history of the Jewish people make the claim that the priests kept that fire going as what the Bible said. And that was important. Now, the fire consumed the offering that was put on it. Uh, there was a daily offering every morning and every night of one lamb. No matter what else went on in the tabernacle, no matter how many people of the children of Israel would line up with their sacrifices on Passover, there had to be a sacrifice of a lamb for every family in the nation of Israel which at this time numbered in the wilderness, numbered somewhere between one and a half and two million people. Every family had to offer a sacrifice on that day of Passover. Think about the fire that had to be burning in this altar to consume those sacrifices. And every morning and every evening, the priest was to rake through the ashes. See, the, the brazen altar was a big box of wood and it had a brass network that went down inside and the fire was down inside uh, the altar and you would place the sacrifices directly in the altar. Now, everybody here has probably burned some type of meat at one time or another. Uh, but you don't consume it into ashes. Uh, unless you call the fire department out and have to hose the place down. Uh, I mean, it takes a lot of fire to consume something all the way. I mean, even when you burn it to a crisp, uh, you know, you've still got to dispose of the piece of whatever it was before it, once it cools down. But these, this fire was supposed to burn and completely consume the sacrifice. The priest had another job. As he would rake through those ashes, he was to keep the coals that were left over from the previous fire and kindle the new fire. Because it was supposed to be one fire, not many. In fact, Nadab and Abihu in Leviticus chapter 10 are going to offer strange fire from the Lord. They're not going to get the fire from the brazen altar and God is going to kill them immediately because they violated this principle. God was serious about this brazen altar. And it is the picture of the sacrifice of self. How often the death of self, excuse me, 
How often do we have to say no to ourselves? Well, every time you sit down to the table, right? How often do we have to say no? How often do we have to fight against ourselves? Do you think that's why Jesus said, you've got to take up the cross daily and follow me? See, that's pictured here in this brazen altar. The first place you stopped. You had the gate that went through the veil that separated the tabernacle from the land of Israel. You went through there, and here is the brazen altar. The men of Israel were allowed to come there, and that's where they would lay their hands on the sacrifice. It would be killed, and it would be offered on that altar. That fire was always to burn. The coals from that altar would be taken only by the priest into the holy place every morning and every night and would be used to offer the incense to God, which is a picture of our prayers. You see, it's not until we get rid of self that God can really hear and Use our prayers. Read Romans chapter 8. All of these things are there. And they're pictured. This fire was to con- even to continually burn. Even when the children of Israel were to pack up the tabernacle and move the tabernacle. That fire was still burning on that altar as they moved. No matter where they went, no matter what they did, as they wandered in the wilderness 40 years, that fire was continually burning night and day upon that altar. It is the picture of the battle that we face, of the death of self. Now, I want you to turn with me to Acts chapter 9, because if any truth is pictured in the Bible, it is also lived in the life of individuals. And and we're going to pick on one man today. We're going to look at his life and how that he found both the death of self and the abundant life of Christ at the same time. And the story of the man we're going to read is the story of the Apostle Paul. And uh, we're going to be going to Philippians chapter 3 in just a few minutes where we'll spend the bulk of our time this morning. But here in Acts chapter 9, verses 3 through 6, Paul was on his way to persecute the Christians in Damascus. And in verse 3, it says, And as he journeyed, he came near to Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he, Paul said, first question, Who art thou, Lord? That's a good question to ask. And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, again Saul, later the Apostle Paul, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what? Wilt thou have me to do? Does that sound like the surrender of self to you? He said, question number one, Lord, 
I know you're from God, but who, who are you really? Do you think Paul had a pretty good idea what the answer was going to be? Saul? I, I think he did. But he, he wanted confirmation and God gave him that. He said, I'm Jesus whom you persecute. It's hard to kick against the pricks. How many of you have ever kicked a thorn bush? You know who gets hurt? You. It said Paul was Paul, and I'll call his name Paul. That's how we know him. At first, his name was Saul. Later, it was changed to Paul. Saul, meaning exalted one. Paul, meaning little one. You see, he was a little one for Jesus and found real life. His second question was not, uh, as we might think, it just said, Lord, you tell me what to do. I would dare say that none of us in uh, this building knew their Bible as well as Saul did. Could quote more verses than Saul could quote. In fact, I would go as far as to say as I don't believe I know any preacher alive that I've made the acquaintance that could quote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, which was the entrance test to the Pharisee club that Paul was a member of. I mean, this man had a lot of things, and we're going to get into that And yet, when he asked Jesus, he said, Lord, I'm calling you God because that's who you are. You tell me what to do. You see, there was hardly a man alive in his day that knew more about the Bible than Saul did. But he understood something very plainly from the outset. This understanding up here does not necessarily mean obedience to the risen Lord. I'm going to have to stop listening to me and start obeying Him. Now turn with me to Philippians chapter 3, if you would. And this is Paul's testimony. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. If you get to Colossians, you got too far. Philippians chapter 3. And let's just start in verse 4. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh... If any other man thinketh that he have whereof he might trust in the flesh... I more circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Now, what Paul is doing here to the Philippian church is he is trying to help them understand 
that they are not to have confidence in the flesh, that their relationship with God is not dependent upon the things that they can do and that they can accomplish for Him. It's dependent upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he utters basically a challenge. If you think you can trust in your flesh, if any man, he said, I'll match him. I'll beat him. He said, because I have attained everything that a human man can attain in the worship to God. Now, the first thing he says, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel. Do you know what? You can't choose your parents. In fact, your parents can't choose you. It just kind of worked out that way. Amen? I mean, God has His plan and His working, but... What Paul is saying here is, I have something that no other Gentile can claim. I have that physical link running in my blood all the way back to Abraham. He said, and not only did I have that physical link, I was born into a family that practiced and obeyed the Old Testament law and were very careful about it. Oftentimes, someone will be talking and they will uh, lament the fact, I, I wish I had been born in a Christian home. I wish I had been brought up by parents who loved the Lord. And the only thing I can say is, you know, we can't change that. But we had better make sure that we change that for the next generation. Amen? I mean... I thank the Lord I was raised in church. I thank the Lord that my parents cared for the Lord. And I want, to, I want to pass that on. But my my father was not raised in a Christian home. Had no understanding of it. But I'll tell you one thing he wanted for his boys. Was that they would get something he didn't get. But the Apostle Paul had it. From before he was born. His parents studied this book called the Bible. And they believed that they were doing everything that the Bible said. But then he makes another claim here. And he says, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin. Talking about his heritage. Then he uses this phrase, in Hebrew, of the Hebrews. Now, what he meant was... Uh, it's, it's one thing to say that you're Jewish. It, it's another thing to live all of the rules and all of the traditions and all of the things of the Jewish people. Paul said, listen, in my house, it was kosher kitchen. Uh, the milk never touched the meat. Uh, I mean, it was, uh, the pots were scrubbed. If someone came over to visit us uh, that wasn't Hebrew and we were eating, we threw away all the dishes. These are some of the traditions of some people that they keep even to this day. Paul said, we did everything 
He said, I was not only a Hebrew. I was a super Hebrew. I was in Hebrew of the Hebrews. He said, my pedigree was followed by my life. Everything about me, everything that could define me, could be found in the Scriptures. Now that pretty bold claim, is it not? And by the way, you don't have much control of those things until you get of an age where you have your own household. But Paul was saying, listen, the household was right. He said, when it came to life choices, I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I was raised right, but I made my own choices and they were right too. He said, concerning as touching the law, a Pharisee. How many of you remember and have read all of the uh, arguments and things that Jesus had with the scribes and the priests and and the Sadducees and the Pharisees? I mean, it's all through the life of Christ, is it not? You see, the scribes and the Sadducees, the Sadducees were the priests. That was the, their, their party is how they were known. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in anything they couldn't see. They didn't believe in spirits. They didn't believe in any of these things. How can you keep the laws of God if you don't believe in anything you can't see? You see, there were Jewish people in very high authority places who totally disregarded the law of God, thinking they were keeping it all at the same time. Talk about delusional. I mean, there was. And then you had the, the scribes, and, you know, every once in a while I make comments about lawyers. Not all lawyers are bad, all right? But there's some really bad lawyers who've done some really bad things. If you hire the right kind of lawyer, it's been proven that you can get away with murder, hasn't it? That's what the, that's what the scribes were. There wasn't a law of God they couldn't get you around. They could justify anything. In fact, Jesus used one of their justifications in his, in his sermon. He said, the Bible says, thou shalt honor thy father and thy mother. He said, but you can say it is Corbin, a gift. Now, what that was, it, was, it meant it was dedicated to the Lord. See, you could take your possessions and dedicate them to the Lord. And that meant that all the prophets belonged to the temple. Of course, you could take out a salary that you needed to live on. And of course, some people need to live a little more than other people do. But when your parents were in need, you would say, Oh, listen, it's all tied up. It's all given to the Lord. I, I can't help you. And he said, You, with your tradition, have negated the commandments of God. Now, Paul, in, in making this statement here, was saying, listen, I wasn't messed up in that kind of stuff. I was a Pharisee. Now, today when we use that word, we say, yeah, holier than thou, hypocrite. But the Pharisees, 
were the only major group in Jewish society that loved the Bible. They read the Bible. They studied the Bible. They did the things that were written in the Scriptures. And many of them were very sincere in what they were doing. In fact, before John announced Jesus uh, as the Messiah through his baptism, if you really loved God, if you really loved the Bible, you would find yourself in the company of the Pharisees. Because they were the only people who did. And Paul said, listen, I was a Pharisee. I believed God's word. And look at this next phrase. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Why did he persecute the church? Because they said, you can't hold on to your traditions any longer. Your faith must be found in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so... Saul, as his name was then, would have hated those people. He said, I persecuted them. You can read the accounts in the book of Acts. Touching the righteousness which is in the law. Blameless. Very few people make that claim. You know, I've met a few people who say, I've never told a lie in my entire life. And my first retort is always, just another one. You just added another one. You don't have to open your mouth to lie. Dad comes down. Who did it? You must have done it. You got looking guilty. And the other children go, <laughs> What did you just do? Told a lie. Listen. Paul said, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. He said, you want confidence in the flesh? I'll match you and I'll beat you. Every time. He says, you can't have done for God what I did. And you know what? Boasting is a strange thing. But there are a few people out there that it's not boasting, as they say. It's not boasting, when, it's not bragging when you're telling the truth, right? Well, I don't know about that. But Paul was telling the truth here. There was no one that could back him up on one of these points. Nor could they measure up to it. But look at the next verse. But what, verse 7, chapter 3 of the book of Philippians, but what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Does that sound like the death of self? Does that sound like the putting of your life on that brazen altar and letting the holy flames of the Word of God consume it until there's absolutely nothing left? So that's the picture. This is how it's lived. And this is what I mean when the Bible is its own commentary. It is helping us understand. You see, the Old Testament picture, we look at that brazen altar and we say, fire, consume, burn, ashes, coals, yeah, uh, okay. Now we look at the life of Paul. And he said, listen, 
I accomplished things. There were things in my life that God put in place that I had no control over. I didn't have control over my heritage and my parents. But they loved the Word of God and they trained me according to the Word of God and they performed things for me when I could not make decisions for myself that were in agreement with the Word of God. When I got old enough to make my own decisions, they were based upon the Word of God. I loved the Bible. I memorized it. I lived it. I walked in it every day. And when something came up that was seemingly against the Word of God, I tried to destroy it. Somebody said, religion just starts a bunch of wars. No. It's people protecting their religion that starts wars. See, I'm here to tell you this Bible doesn't need to be protected. It protects me. How many of these copies of this book called the Bible were consumed in the flames in England under the reign of King Henry VIII? Read the stories. And it wasn't against the rules in King Henry's England to burn the Bible with the sticks and the the branches that they used uh, with the owner of the Bible tied to a stake above the branches and burned them both with the same fire. That's what went on. But Paul says here, But what things were gained to me, all my diplomas, all my learning, all my life, all my history, all my heritage, everything that is about me that makes me me. He said, I counted those things loss for Christ. Now, how do you count something loss? You reckon it worthless. I mean, there was a time here just a little while ago, if you had stock in, uh, what was it, Bear Stearns? Uh, That was one of the banks that went belly up in the last bubble burst. And uh, if you had a portfolio with Bernie Madoff as your chief investor, you know what happened? Those things were counted loss. No one would give you anything for a share in Bear Stearns. It was worthless. It was counted loss. Paul said, I counted them loss as consumed upon the altar of God's Word. Now look what he says here. He goes on. Yea, doubtless, without any doubt, And I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. Now look at this next one. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dumb that I may win Christ. Um, Does that sound like a life choice that was made on the part of the Apostle Paul? Uh, In fact, it wasn't just one. It was a whole series of choices as he had to go through the filing cabinet of his life and take out everything that he had. He, 
You know what? He had to take his knowledge of God's Word. I think it would be an excellent thing to be able to quote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, wouldn't it? Anybody want to try to learn? I mean, we had so much trouble getting the 10 or 15 verses for, uh, for the uh, Christmas program. And we had different, the men memorized so many verses and the ladies and the children. And that was a lot of fun. But it was a lot of work. But that was, I think the guys only had like 15 or 16 verses. Now guys, how many of you had to struggle to learn all those verses? I mean, you had to put forth some effort. It's okay to raise your hand. Because you didn't know them when we started. Because I remember watching and read through the paper. <laughs> no, you got to say the words. Uh, you got to learn them. It takes work. Paul had to take his knowledge of God's Word and let it be consumed on the altar because it was his knowledge and not his knowledge. That's why religion keeps people out of heaven. Because it gives you a knowledge that you think you've got control of instead of a knowledge that comes only from Him who we think we know about. We don't have time for this this morning, but one of the things you ought to do sometime is just list what the different religions say about Jesus and you'll find out that they can't possibly be talking about the person who is recorded in Scripture. And Jesus himself said there will be many false Christs. And Paul had to get rid of his image and his understanding of the Messiah to embrace Jesus Christ. And he said, when I got rid of those things, he said, I got rid of them. He says, do count them but dung. You know, a lot of people, when they get saved, they're, they're willing to give Jesus all the bad things in their life. But there's a few things that they want to keep a hold of. Uh, Paul said, "Mm -mm." you see, when you put the sacrifice on the altar, the fire did not just burn part of the sacrifice. It burned it all. Paul said, I gave it all and I'm not harboring any desire of any kind to go back and get a piece of what I had before I met Christ. You know, it's hard for people who have talents and abilities to surrender to serve Christ because they, they trust in these talents and abilities that they have. Let me tell you, I don't think Paul sang solos but the Jewish religion is full of music. I couldn't imagine him not being able to really let go and make people stand there and go, wow, what devotion to God with his ability. And when Paul talked, you know what? People listened. But he said, I do count them without a doubt. I have counted them lost. But then he makes this statement, and I've suffered the loss of all things. You know, it's one thing 
to say, I'm willing to give up everything for Christ. It's another thing to have lost everything for Christ. I think of the men that signed the Declaration of Independence. You know what? They said, we pledge our lives and our sacred honor. You know what? Most of the men that signed that document lost everything. Some of them lost their entire families for the cause of freedom. And freedom is a wonderful cause. I'm for it. I believe in it. I love it. And I thank God every day that we still have some of it here in this country. But I'll tell you what. Paul did not have options for personal freedom. He was in the Roman Empire. And when his former friends came and took from him his titles and his education and his Jewishness and everything else that made him to be who he was, he said, listen, it's gone, I've lost it, and I count it a privilege to have lost it so that I can find Christ. That's why Jesus calls it being born again. Because there's nothing that you had before you were saved that is worthy of Him using. He wants it all brand new. Consumed on that altar. Now look at the goals of Paul's life here. Verse 9, and be found in Him. He said, this is what I want for my life. I want to be found in Christ. He said, not my own righteousness, which is of the law. I don't want people to look at me and say, look at all these great things that you accomplished and these things that you have done. He, he said, that's not what it is. He said, but that which is through faith, that which is through the faith of Christ. Now, how can I have something through the faith of Christ? Well, first thing is salvation. I can have that through the faith of Christ. I believe what Jesus said about what he would do to pay the price for my sins. Amen? You know what else I can have through the faith of Christ? I can have Bible baptism through the faith of Christ. I'll be baptized by the way Jesus said to be baptized. Jesus found a preacher. His name was John the Baptist. That's what it says in my Bible, amen? And he got baptized in identification because God identified him through that thing called baptism. We ask that people be baptized the Bible way in identification with Jesus Christ, the doctrine of the Bible, and His church. But you can live by faith of Jesus Christ too, can't you? Do you think Jesus wants you laughing at the dirty jokes they tell in the break room at work? Uh, you can not do that by the faith of 
Jesus Christ. The world says, if you don't toot your own horn, no one else will. Well, listen. By the faith of Jesus Christ, I'm not going to promote myself. I'm going to promote Jesus. Now, I could keep giving you examples until it's time for the service this evening, but then you wouldn't get a lunch break, and so uh, we don't want that to happen. But do you get what I'm saying here? These were life choices. He said, I wanted to be found in Him. I want my righteousness to be that righteousness which is through the faith of Christ that belongs to Him. It says that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. I mean, Easter Sunday is two weeks away. The world celebrates the resurrection of Christ. And, well, they should, because he is their creator. But do you think he's impressed because you show up on church on Easter Sunday and Christmas? No, he wants our life to be daily. Uh, like the brazen altar. The fire was to never go out. you know why? Because that old flesh keeps rising up again and again, and again. He says, and the fellowship of his suffering. You know what Paul said? He said, it's a privilege to suffer like Jesus suffered. You know, Paul was writing these words from a prison cell. He had suffered. He had lost his personal freedom. He had lost everything for the cause of Jesus Christ. But look what he says there in, that, in the end of that verse. Verse 10 there. Being made conformable unto his... What's that next word? you think this is about as clear a reference to the death of self that you can find in the Scripture? Let me tell you it is. Paul said, I want to be found in Him, not having my righteousness, not being thought that I'm a good person by what I've done, but to people to think good of me because of what Jesus has done. I want the things that I do in my life that people take note of to be in response to the direction of the Lord Jesus Christ. That means Jesus makes life decisions. You follow Him by getting saved and baptized, serving in His church, walking through each day, ordered by the Lord. Why? Because I'm dead. And He said, this, I've suffered the loss of all things, I've been made conformable unto his death. Now he goes on. And he says, If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Now, if we read these verses carelessly, we may think that Paul was trying to, by these things, uh, obtain salvation. That's not true at all. He said, I don't count myself to have reached any level of spiritual maturity. 
He said, because this death of selfing, this being made conformable unto his death, is a continuing process. He says, I'm reaching out that I can apprehend, I'm trying to grab a hold of, I'm trying to lock on to that for which also I am apprehended of, Christ Jesus. Now, our Bible is Old English, and it would take five paragraphs in modern English to say what Paul said in one sentence there. He said, I'm trying to apprehend that which has already got me. He said, Jesus has already has me. He's holding on. The Marshall family sings a song, uh, I'm not holding on to Jesus, he's holding on to me. Uh, and, and, and that song is illustrating the truth that's here. But Paul says, listen, I'm living in a way, I am trying to make my life decisions not based upon me, but based upon what Jesus told me to do. And I'm moving forward, not as if everything's all settled and I'm already done, but it is. Because he's got me. But you know what? I don't have enough of him yet. And then he goes on to re-say this. He says, brethren, I count in verse 13, not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us, therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. And we're almost done. Paul says, I'm forgetting those things which are behind. You know what? If you've ever had the Lord just do a wonderful miracle in your life, you can hold on to that miracle and stop moving forward for the Lord. Better be careful. But you know what? If you really mess up, sometimes you can allow that mess to stop you moving forward for the Lord. That's why Paul said, listen, I'm forgetting those things which are behind. I'm pressing toward the mark of the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus. And then he ends in verse 15 and 16. I'm just going to paraphrase it. If you think anything else about your relationship with God, you're just wrong. He says, God will even reveal this to you. He's going to reveal that what I'm saying here is penned under the influence of the Holy Spirit of God, and what we need to do is stop trying to serve ourselves and start trying to serve Christ. And by the way, those of you that have been saved a long time and serving God a long time, you need, you need to mind the same thing. You know what the difference between a professional sports player and a non-professional sports player is? They can do the basics better. You know what? I can shoot a basketball. And I can hit it about 10% of the time. That's why I'm not in the NBA. But you know something? Even if I would classify myself 
as a professional, as, as a mature Christian, if I would put that. Paul already dealt with that. He said, I'm not saying that I've attained. But he said, if I were to put myself on that category, saying that I have some spiritual attainments, I've, I've lived this book called the Bible for many years, and God has helped me make life decisions. When I wake up in the morning, I'm forgetting those things which are behind. I'm pressing on to those things which are before. I'm counting all things but loss so that I can gain Christ. I still want to be found in Him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is of faith, of the faith of Christ Jesus. You see, I still want to be made conformable to His death every day. You see, the fire shall never be go out. The fire shall not put be put out. But in First Thessalonians, there's this strange little verse in there. It's just stuck it right at the end in chapter five as Paul is closing out. He says, "Quench not the spirit." You know what? How many of you've ever licked your fingers and put out a candle? You know what you just did? You quenched the flame. If you've ever been camping out in the woods, you know what you need to do before you leave? You need to get a, several buckets of water and you need to quench the fire and make sure the coals are dead. And then the best thing to do is get a, a little shovel and put some dirt on top and make sure that that fire can't spread. You know what? A lot of Christians have gotten good at putting out the fire. Quenching the Spirit of God. Just saying, hey, you know, I know I need to do this, but I'm just going to put this decision off a little bit. Hey, that's not the way it works. If it's on the altar, it's consumed. You know, that's how you get saved, friend. If you're just sitting there teetering on the edge saying, I know I need to get saved, but I just don't know how to do it. Uh, put it on the altar. And let the Lord take care of all of it. Uh, by the way, if you're struggling in your life, uh, here's a simple way to do it. I've suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. Let's get rid of it. Let's not harbor or allow our hearts to harbor sentiment for things that hinder our service for Christ. Whether it be not wanting to get baptized or not wanting to be counted on and for service in the church or wanting to read my Bible every day or wanting to give up some uh, outward sin or something like this or put up with uh, con condemnation of our families and, and arguments from people about all the changes we are trying to make. Uh, it goes on the altar. And there's nothing left except the ashes and the coals. You know what the coals are for? Start a new fire. You know what the ashes are for? Uh, we got to get rid of them. We got to clean them out or the fire won't burn. You see, that's why Paul said, I'm forgetting those things which are behind. I'm going to shovel the old ashes out, get rid of them, and we're going to press on. Not as though I've already apprehended, but I'm trying to apprehend that 
which has already got hold of me. I love that. And he said, if you think anything else, sorry, you're wrong. God will show you that what I wrote here is right. And even when you get secure in your Christianity and mature in your relationship with God, uh, let's go back and start over again. Because the only difference is doing what the Bible says. It is the death of me so that Jesus can live. And by the way, I, we go over this all the time. We have a time of invitation. And we're going to do that in just a moment. But we don't walk down the aisles and say, Hey, we don't know you. Are you sure you're saved? Why don't you come down? We don't do that here. You know, I know that there are people sitting here that need to make decisions. I'm not going to walk down to you and grab you up and say, Hey, it's time to get off the fence and start serving God. That's what the preaching's for. If you can't respond on your own, I'm not going to try to coerce a response. I mean, my office is open. My phone is on. You can call. But we call this worship. You know what worship is? It's just simply saying, God said so, I'm going to do it. That's how you get saved. We won't baptize you until you say, God said so, I'm going to do it. You can't be a member of this church until you're saved and baptized. And say, I want to serve God the way he wants me to. Otherwise, there's no purpose of being a member of the church. We can't use you in the church until you've lived a little while and proved that those things are true in your life. That's why we're here. You know what Paul said? He said, I had it all. It was worthless. He said, now I got Christ. And I have life. And that life more abundantly. Even though I have suffered. But I'm conformable to his death that I may live in heaven with him. And all God's people say, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you and Lord, I just ask that you would burn into our hearts and our souls the picture of that altar and the burning fire on it. Consuming the sacrifice completely until there's absolutely nothing left. Lord, I ask that you would help us to understand that's how we're to live each and every day for you. We ask that you would have freedom during this invitation that we would say yes to you and no to ourselves. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. Brother Franz, come lead us.